Hey y'all, having a disaster podcast, Brett and I find it really important to talk about some disaster relief that is much needed for Australia. If you visit the description or PDS podcast on Twitter or Instagram, our bio links will lead you to some ways to help. Thank you for taking a moment to listen and we're thinking about all of our friends in Australia now. I don't know. Duck and cover, bitches. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. Hello. How y'all doing? Hopefully good. Y'all, bearing bearing with the crazy storms that are going on across the U.S., I'm sure. There's probably like all kinds of weird weather. Actually, it is weird weather. I think I was listening to something recently, and uh, I went to the game on Sunday, um, the Niners game here in San Jose or Santa Clara, and uh, when I went out after to watch the other games, there's like temperatures in the 70s 60s and 70s on the east coast wow yeah weather it snowed barely the other um night i woke up and there was barely any snow and then today depending what app i look at oh yeah in portland depending what app i look at it says it's going to snow or it's not so i don't know i love the snow i'm hoping it snows but Oh, beautiful. So beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of weird weather everywhere, but uh, it says that, you know, there's supposed to be another big storm kind of heading through the Midwest East coast. So we'll see how that goes. But Mm. I mean, that's kind of normal for this time of year, but I think it's just really crazy that we have like such warm weather right now, um, on the East coast. Yeah. Rather odd. I was going to say, and with the fires in Australia, uh, I'm Uh sure you all, if I haven't taken it out at this point, if you're listening way, way, way in the future, but if you've been listening recently, including the beginning of this episode, you're going to hear my little announcement about, um, we have put links in our description for the fires for places that you can donate to, to help those in need, including animals and the people and everything. Um, So yeah. Yeah. I found one. Uh, Celeste Barber is one of my favorite people that I follow on Instagram. And I mean, I could not believe how much money she raised. And I'm just, the generosity of people is amazing sometimes. And it's incredible because it's been in millions and millions. Every time I see that fundraiser, it just like keeps going. And people do have to remember that like, even though that looks like a lot of money, it's really not in the, like the amount of Australia on fire right now is so devastating Mm. that it's going to be very expensive to continue to rehab animals and people and people are going to be without homes and um, to rehab those natural areas to make it livable again for animals. There's just so much that goes into it. It definitely far exceeds what, whatever dollar amount you're putting out there. So yeah, unfortunately. Exactly. Uh, So speaking of winter weather, (laughs) (laughs) um, we're going to do mine and I have an amazing surprise for you, Brie. I know I was like, teasing you with it a couple of weeks ago, but I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that I just happened to pick off of my list of natural disasters, this particular disaster and um, how it relates to our last episode. So I am beyond stoked. All right. So, okay. I'm so stoked. Let's just let's jump right it. in, shall we? Yeah, please okay. do. Excuse me. I have whiskey burps. Okay. <laughs> it's also like two in the afternoon and Brett's drinking whiskey. So uh, if Brina didn't have life. <laughs> class tonight, Brina had class at 10. 
and then oh. came back home and going back to class at four. That's my Monday, Wednesday, uh, every week now for the it's next. All right, we got 10 Friday, weeks. babe. We got Friday. Yeah. Well, Coming. I still have class on Friday morning. Oh, and yeah, I go to. I'm about to say five days a week. Got class. Help me, God. Anyways, please. Eight go on. days a week. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. All right, so I am actually going to be going over the 1940 Armistice Day. Armistice. Day blizzard. I can talk. <laughs> Ooh, please go um, on. Yeah. So kind of stoked on this one. So a little background for you. Veterans Day, we celebrate on November 11th and it was originally known as Armistice Day uh, that was started back in 1919. It was the one year anniversary of signing the armistice between armistice. Sorry, I can't, I, that word I have so much trouble with, uh, <laughs> between the allied forces in Germany that helped end World War One. So um, it became celebratory every year thereafter. I believe they probably changed the name from Armistice Day because I can't say it. <laughs> Just for you, like, Brett, they knew. You know, someday in the future, somebody's not going to be able to pronounce this correctly. Let's just call it Veterans Day. So, so they changed it. And that's the story. Uh, so it took place, this arm, Armistice Day blizzard took place on November 11th um, into November 12th in 1940. And it cut a thousand mile wide swath through the middle of the country. So it was pretty big storm, uh, very intense. When wow. I looked up the type of storm, it was called a panhandle hook. And I feel like I've heard mm. that before. And I don't remember what storm it was related to, but they're pretty rare. I mean, um, I only hear panhandle. People are talking Florida. Right. But the panhandle hook is like the style of the storm. So if you mm -hmm. imagine a little hook, just burp. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's... Uh, a, a type of cyclogenesis that occurs um, in the south to southwestern United States from the late fall through winter and into the early spring months. They trek to the northeast on a path towards the Great Lakes region as the southwesterly streams are, jet streams are pre uh, prevalent. So like as the jet streams are flowing, the storm kind of cuts through. Okay. Uh, it usually affects the Midwest and Eastern Canada. Panhandle hooks account for some of the most memorable and deadly blizzards and snowstorms in North America. And that's why I said, I think I've heard this before, this particular term. So now it's like, I'm going to be on the lookout for panhandle hook storms, you know? Yeah. Uh, the name is derived from the region of the surface cyclogenesis in the Texas panhandle and Oklahoma panhandle regions. In some winters, there are no panhandle hook storms. In others, there are several. So um, definitely going to keep my eye out again for these. So, all right. I have in large letters a surprise, but I'm going to wait here. <laughs> Hang tight. Okay. Um, in the morning, uh, November 11th, temps were unseasonably warm in the 50s and 60s all over the Midwest, um, as they are right now currently in the, in the East Coast, right? So mm -hmm. unseasonably warm. As the day progressed, it got colder and colder and weather deteriorated. So I was actually watching a video on YouTube. Uh, oh, speaking of which, my source is YouTube, weather.gov, um, uh, minnesotatribune.com, I think, or .org, um, and uh, NOAA. So... Uh, and a sporting classics daily also, that's going to come into play here soon. Excellent. So the, um, I was watching this video on YouTube about the storm and they talked about how people went to work that morning and just left their coats at home because they're like, Oh, it's warm. Oh, they say no. it's going to get cold, but it's going to be a day or two. And it said, according to their weather service that they were using at the time, they said it was going to be like colder and then like flurries. Right. So they didn't think anything bad. And they're like, you know what? I can stand a few flurries. Minnesotas are strong. <laughs> you know, they can stand their weather. Yeah. Apparently. So, yeah. So 50 degrees didn't bother them. They're going to leave the coats at home. Um, a lot of people walk to work. So it was a nice enough day outside. Um, 
Okay, so the weather began uh, in the afternoon to get much, much colder. Um, heavy rain turned to snow. They even said that there was a tornado spotted and gale force winds were all reported during this storm. Wow. And I talked about how people got out and abandoned cars because the storms w- had, had just came, came out of nowhere. Uh, people who had walked to work couldn't get home, so they were sleeping wherever they could. Um, train stations, friends' houses, etc. An intense and raging blizzard lasted from November 11th to 12th. Snowfall of up to 27 inches and winds that were 50 to 80 miles per hour. Whoa! Yeah, I would not want to be outside for that. Right. So in it now, so a lot of people are like, "Oh, 27 inches. That's not a lot these days." Because like you talk about Tahoe and whatever, but this is one day. One day. Remember, 27 inches and the wind 24 hour period. And then that is intense winds. Okay. So those gale force winds are also referred to as hurricane force winds. So it's very, very strong wind. Okay. That was my impersonation apparently of it. (laughs) (laughs) Just blowing in the wind. Right. (laughs) So it created 20 foot drifts, um, and 50 degree temperature drops. So if you can imagine, Say it started off at 50 degrees and then all of a sudden by the end of the afternoon, it was down to zero. That's pretty intense. That's really fast too. No, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) And I actually put after it, brr. (laughs) You would, Brett. I would. would. (laughs) I said brr. I said brr. It's cold in here. Yeah. it's. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm in like a full on turtleneck thing and sports pants from my run this morning and I'm still cold. Oh my God. I'm wearing a sweater. I have a blanket on me. I'm wearing wool socks. It is it's 37 Look- degrees and I am cold. Uh, it created these, um, it occurred, the storm overall, like took out um, areas in Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. So all Midwest states. Cool. Uh, temperature drops occurred within hours and went into single digits and wind chills that were off the charts. So people have never seen something this intense before. There were record low pressures in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and Duluth, Minnesota. Survivors of the storm had described the cold as so severe that it was actually difficult to breathe. And I can tell you from experience that I've actually um, felt something like this. So when I was in Buffalo one year, I was traveling with a rugby team um, of this guy I was dating. And I swear to God, I wore like 16 layers. I had like tights, I had pants, and then I had snow pants underneath, and then I had socks, shoes. I had multiple pairs of gloves. I had sweaters. I had stuff over my face. And one of the hardest things I remember was trying to breathe. I was just Mm -hmm. like, I can't breathe. It's so cold. It's stifling. It's almost like the air is freezing before it hits your mouth. Jeez, It's so, so, so terribly intense. Um, Does the air get heavier does have more mass i wonder i I kind of thought about researching that i didn't but i wanted to because i'm like maybe it does and it's that much harder to breathe it you know because i wouldn't doubt it because if you have moisture in the air and it is a molecule or atom or whatever and moisture expands when it freezes yeah and then it also creates more mass too doesn't so it doesn't surprise me or wouldn't surprise me yeah anyways that's that's actually a thing yeah, that is. Somebody reach out and tell us. I was just gonna say, if you know, <laughs> let us know. Uh, yeah, let us know if you know. Because we want to know. We want to yes. know. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I actually kept reading um, or listening to the YouTube. Followed it all the way through because I'm like, okay, let me see what's different in my my materials that I gathered versus what they had. They talked about how. Um, there were shipwrecks all over Lake Michigan. I was like, holy shit, like that's intense. Lake mm-hmm. Michigan, a freighter called the William B. Davock was sheared by two monstrous waves. 
Can you imagine shearing a freighter? Wow. That's crazy. Like really, really heavy duty. Waves. Wow. Heavy duty and waves. Yeah, but uh, it's a wind because if it's in a lake, it's definitely not because of like currents. Not, you yeah, know, like it's, it's not the ocean. the ocean. Yeah. yeah. So it's literally just from the wind, that power. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Exactly. My my words exactly. <laughs> the death toll uh, is recorded at 159, but they think mm-hmm. it's actually closer to 200. This is a cool thing that I was reading. And I say cool because I was just like, whoa, I had no idea. But um, but just definitely um, very unique about this storm and that one of the reasons it makes it so memorable up there. So there's a lot of duck hunters up in Michigan um, mm-hmm. in Minnesota um, in those particular areas. And the um, that day, because it was so unseasonably warm, they knew that it was going to get colder. The cloud cover was good. So they were like, this is going to be like the best duck hunting day ever. So they came out in droves all along the Mississippi River. Wow. They were encouraged by radio folk and other people to take advantage of the ideal hunting conditions. Mm. So what ha- wound up happening is they're out there, they're using duck blinds. They've got on their, you know, their clothes and stuff, but of course they're warm. Um, so they're, you know, they don't bring much with them because they're like, oh, it's nice enough out. And if the temperature drops later, again, the whole, you know, um, mentality of, you know, a Minnesota and I can take this and it could take a little wind later and the temperature drop, it'll be fine. I'll be home before the end of the day. That didn't happen. They wound up dying of exposure. So it was like a huge thing. And there was actually a book written on it. Wow. Um, about the, it was known as the day the duck hunters died. So super, um, sad, but also really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to read a little uh, excerpt. Uh, but no one was there and no one would ever forget it. Nor did their memories. Like photos left too long in a show window, pale in the passage of time, it was the persistence of these memories that 45 years after the event prompted a Minnesota man named William Hull to track down and interview more than 500 people who lived through the Armistice Day storm. He then selected 167 of these accounts and assembled them into a book he called fittingly, All Hell Broke Loose. (laughs) Some recalled seemingly endless flocks of divers like redheads, bluebills, canvasbacks. These are all types of ducks. Okay. While others remember wave upon wave of mallards. They all agree that they had never seen the sky so full of ducks. They agree too that there was nothing in the weather that morning to presage what was coming, that the storm was upon them, almost before they knew what was happening and that it was only by the grace of God that they survived when so many others did not. And I did read about a story about a boy who went with his father and like uncle or brother. Um, They had gotten caught out in the storm and the dogs that they brought with them, the hunting dogs actually kept the little boy warm. He was the only one that survived. His (gasps) his father did not. That's awful. I can imagine. But again, remember, like this was an epic day of duck hunting and everybody was like, we're not missing this. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, it's just imagine like, what's the best thing you can imagine or get excited about and um, everybody's got to go to it. But then all of a sudden something like this occurs and you're just like, shit, that was unexpected. Well, so, and just like you were saying, it's 1940s. There is uh-huh. some science, of course, weather, not the same, but I today do not expect a 50 degree to, like drop in yeah. a day, like in a 24 hour period, let alone it's, like a 12 hour, however long it was. Cause yeah, it's rare. It's very, yeah. Rare. It's, I just wouldn't imagine that. And so like what you need for 50 degrees versus what you need for 40 to 30, you know, like every 10 degrees, what you mm-hmm. need changes. Yep. So just imagine like 
five different changes or more. And it wasn't just the temperature. It was also the rain. So it went from like, oh. it's windy. Now it's windy and rainy. Now it's windy and sleet. Now it's windy and snow. Now it's whiteout conditions like yeah. that quickly. And so, then with the wind, I wonder what it felt like versus what it was too. Cause that also, cause there's like Arctic winds sometimes that make it feel colder than it oh, is. Oh, for sure. They said like, the wind chills yeah. were off the charts. I mean, geez. That's that had to be one of the most, and it, I don't say that had to be to Minnesotans this day. That was mm-hmm. the most intense storm. Like it is wow. highly, highly memorable. Uh, it has see. a name. It's been uh, named. exactly. <laughs> it has it has a name. Max Conrad and John R. Bob Bean were nominated for the Carnegie Medal Medal due to their heroism and contribution to saving lives that day. Both were pilots. Um, they had saved a bunch of people going out and flying, doing flight when the weather was. Uh, well enough for them to do so flying mm-hmm. out over the, um, uh, the Mississippi river and looking for people who were stuck, scared, whatever, you know, that, that were left out there. So they saved so many lives and made so many people happy. Yeah. So much family. Um, also fun fact, additionally, 1.5 million turkeys intended for Thanksgiving dinner across Minnesota perished from exposure to cold conditions. Oh, Got to Got to get those. Uh, I think uh, we need to start knitting sweaters for turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here we go. Um, let's see. So that's the Armistice Day blizzard. Very, very memorable. Again, it was sort of like it was on, on record as most memorable because of the temperature drops, the intensity of the storm within 24 hours and how it affected the duck hunters, how it was the best duck hunting season ever, but then ended with tragedy. So that mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of remembered in that way. Um, so this is going to blow your mind. Okay. You ready? I think I figured I'd I'd end with this. The storm started on November 7th in the Pacific Northwest with 40 miles per hour wind by November 10th. The fast moving storm crossed over the Rockies in two hours. This is the same storm that collapsed the narrows. Oh, Oh. Boom. Whoa. I just dropped a, a bomb of Genesis on you, yo. <laughs> the Tacoma Narrows Bridge is the same wind? It's the same storm. So the wind that happened on the 7th that yeah. took out the bridge was part of that storm uh, track, part of that same storm Yeah, that blew so quickly over the Rockies and then went in and destroyed the, the Midwest. Holy ah, shit. Right? Nice. It's a twofer. That's yeah. a double destruction. Talk about like two degrees of separation. Like right? a degree of separation. I don't know just what it called. Like just one. Just one degree. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? Isn't that insane? I was like, oh my God, this is going to blow. It blew my mind when I read about it. I was like, no, 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 this can't be the same storm. It is the same storm. I was like, <laughs> just shocked. So if you are a normal listener then you know our last episode i did the tacoma narrows bridge which collapsed due to some science as i just keep saying due to aeroelastic flutter from this (laughs) wind of the storm that brett's talking about now that is intense that is crazy i love it right it's wild my god and so of course again like i said my husband was like whoa it's gonna sound like you actually know what you're talking about i'm like well i do but i don't you know what i mean yeah it was it was completely unintentional yeah, by complete accident that I decided I'm going to pick this disaster. And when I picked it and I read that, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. It comes right on the heels of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. So same Jesus. storm, 
did just as much damage in the damage in the Midwest as it did in the Pacific Northwest. So, wow. yeah, good one. Yeah, wow. Go, the ladies and gentlemen. I'm about to say you gave us a shorty this time. Yeah, well, you know what? It fits in line with the storm because yeah. it was bam. You know, like quick super and fast. fast. It was fast. It was dirty. It was intense. Just how most of it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Hey all, this is Cindy from Dummy World. Together with my co-host Kelly, we examine the underbelly of society. From true crime to urban legends to cults and beyond, Dummy World supplies your weekly fix of the dark side of life. New episodes air Monday. Find Dummy World where your favorite podcasts live. You ready to hear about my disaster? I'm ready. I'm ready. So all of our social media people probably know what this is because I accidentally gave a sneak peek to it because I'm I was not wondering here. about that. I was yeah. wondering about that because I was like, you charged me with social media for the week. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put up this. And I was like, wait, what's this? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty much going to charge Brett with social media for at least this term too. <laughs> Since I'm like you. doing editing and she's, oh God, I love, I'm just going to tell listeners, Brett already knows this. I love the way Brett does social media. I Thank like her you. captions. I like, she puts Aww. a lot more care into the captions than I do. <laughs> so Aww, much more thanks. care and uh, so much more interesting than I do. So I'm so happy. Now I just have to teach you the tweet. Um, yeah, I am so Twitter illiterate. <laughs> that's fine. Which I've been popping on Twitter and just posting stuff and like writing things anyways. Just I'm Twitter illiterate. I enjoy Twitter. So, um, and that's good, good. why I usually retweet other really great podcasts. Yeah. Like I don't get the return retweet at whatever. Like I'm, I mean, I know the ads on Instagram and on Facebook because you can like call out and tag people and whatever, but. I'm just not really good at like, I just don't get the tweet thing. I just don't understand. So yeah, so. I mean, the adding, it's just like the same thing on Twitter. And then like when you want to talk, like talk about a person or about yeah. a person or whatever. And then the retweet is like a reblog from okay. Tumblr, which is like a re a share on Facebook. It's okay. like you're sharing their tweet. Oh God, social media. Why is it going yeah. to be so complex? No, I'll, I'll show you the ways. Uh, so <sighs> yeah. So I've been, this has been on my list to do since we started the podcast. Sweet. I have a list and I hop, I was telling Brett <laughs> before that I hop between ones that I really, really want to do and the ones that like I'm interested in and it hops around. Yeah. So I'm spreading them out. However, Same. very soon I'm going to be out of the ones that kind of inspired the podcast, which is yeah. fine because there's never a lack of disasters is what I've no, learned. No, absolutely not. And also <laughs> like we have uh, more things happening every day. So yeah, exactly. So I'm doing Hindenburg. My Ooh. references is Wikipedia. I actually looked at like the Hindenburg disaster and the LZ-129 Hindenburg, history.com, theatlantic.com, and do go on podcast. Um, do go sure on. I'm not missing anything. <laughs> do go on. Please. So I am going to try to spit this out somewhat fast while without stumbling on my words maybe okay. i have a bus to catch in a in very soon so our listeners know that even though go, yeah. go, go. so we're squeezing in this recording we're squeezing <clears throat> so an airship should be not mistaken for a blimp that's the first thing i learned <laughs> from do go on podcast <laughs> also from archer <laughs> oh i didn't know was, that yeah it is also quoted on archer or something oh, like hilarious. that an airship versus 
yeah. versus a blimp. Uh-huh. Yeah, there is a difference between the two. While both use lighter than air gases to travel, the airship is fully rigged, which means it holds its shape even when it's not full of gas. So a blimp like deflates, I guess, okay. like a balloon or like an air mattress. And um, the airship stays solid, almost a normal mattress that is in an air mattress. I did not yeah. know that. I did not either until, and I figured there was a difference. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. So the LZ-129 Hindenburg, which is, of course, the airship we were talking about, was a German commercial passenger airship. The airship measured about 800 feet long. At the time, it was the longest of flying machines and the largest airship by envelope volume. Okay. <laughs> envelope, I believe, is like the balloon part. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it was built by Zeppelin Company and operated by the German Zeppelin Airline Company. The Hindenburg was named after Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg, who was the president from 1925 to his death in 1934, obviously in Germany. Of course. Uh, Which I feel like I did that. Paul von Hindenburg. Hindenburg. Anyways, (laughs) while hydrogen was the usual gas used in airships, after the British R-101 disaster in 1930, Zeppelin decided to go into another direction and use helium instead. So the building of the LZ-129 was a bit of a slower pace in favor of the design. Some of the components for the airship was actually salvaged from the British R-101 ship after its crash, which I feel like is probably a bad omen. (laughs) Well, not illegal, because like there's uh you know like salvage pieces but it just seems like a bad omen like yeah don't right? use a piece from another wreck like that's right. yeah that's a little touch and go like you don't give someone a ring uh engagement ring if the prior owner was divorced with said ring if it was their wedding ring i don't know i think that's like a superstition maybe i just thought of Beetlejuice just now he's like don't oh. worry she meant nothing to me um <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's cheaper not banned to export by some countries and it gave more lift power than helium. So huh. like some, I think United States had some kind of um, export ban on hydro or on, uh, helium. Interesting. So this meant that more design change came into play and they made it so the Hindenburg used hydrogen for lift um, and then helium for the rest just because of the power. This also has another benefit, which would have more room for passenger cabins because the hydrogen took less space mm. or needed less space for the lift. Uh, and at the time, it was thought that Germany had perfected safe use of hydrogen in these airships since prior they didn't have any injuries or, til- or fertility- fertilities. Wow. Fatality. <laughs> It took me three paragraphs until I hit it. Fatalities. (laughs) Well played. They're hydrogen ships. It's not like I was trying to say like fertility. Yeah, I I actually thought that's where you were going. I was like, what? (laughs) No fertility or injuries on (laughs) ships. Done. Uh, While the ship was built for transatlantic passenger travel, it wasn't its only use. It was also used for mail and, of course, Nazi propaganda. Of course. Of course. Uh, of there's course. a lot of information about that that I don't think we needed to go over at all. But if you're interested, look at the Wikipedia, especially that I told you about. And the other articles, they go over how it was used. I mean, it was Germany. Um, this was in the early 30s um, when it yeah, started to be built. Around the war. Exactly. So, yeah. 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 So the airship was quite the luxury inside. Essentially, it's like a flying cruise ship. It was designed by Fritz August 
brew house and a brew house and included two decks, passenger quarters, public rooms, dining oh. rooms, lodge, a bar, and a writing room. Also, for the crew, there was washrooms, mess hall, and smoking lounge. There was specialized engineering in the smoking room to vent any leaking hydrogen to enter, and it was very strict about taking any lit tobacco products outside the smoke room. Mm. A specifically designed lightweight piano was made from the Hindenburg, which is very interesting. Wow. Yeah, I like that. Okay. And I'm, I'm wondering what they made it out of. Aluminum, maybe? Well, ba- no, that probably wouldn't wood. make the right noise. Yeah, this like a really light, light wood. Yeah, balsa was that you make like those little planes out of. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So maybe. Wow. I can't yeah. imagine that creating a, a, a good sound, though. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. Yeah. I'm really curious how that sounded. The Hindenburg's owner, seeking to outfit their airborne luxury liner, tasked the Rion piano maker for piano making firm Julius Bluthner with Bluthner. building a special lightweight baby grand to meet the airship strict weight standards. So the piano, which was made mostly of aluminum alloy, oh, I, guess okay. I was right, and go. covered in yellow pigskin, weighed less than 400 pounds. Gross. It was also used, I'm just shaking my head like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, that Ooh. thing's haunted somehow. I don't know nope. why. Yellow pigskin just says haunt to me. Uh-huh. It was only used during the Hindenburg's first flying season, so it wasn't aboard the ill-fated voyage. So if you guys are new to this podcast, I don't know how you don't realize that this is a disaster podcast, which we didn't say in the beginning, but whatever. This is the yeah. first time we don't introduce it. Um, maybe the first time. So uh, the disaster's coming soon. In 1936, Hindenburg made 17 round trips across the Atlantic. Ten were to the U.S. and seven were to Brazil. Each of the ten westward trips this season took 53 to 78 hours and eastward took 43 to 61 hours, quoted the Wikipedia. That's actually not bad. So it's like a weekend. Yeah, it's like a weekend there and then a weekend back. It's really not. And you're in the air. Like, it has to be gorgeous. Yeah, they said it was like a cruise ship, but in the air. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I said it was like a cruise ship, but in the air, you know, just taking (laughs) credit for my great thought. There you go. (laughs) There you go. So, May 6th, 1937, the Hindenburg was headed to Lakehurst after flying over the Atlantic. The ship was already running behind and possibly will be even later because of severe weather, thunderstorms predicted. This prompted Captain Pruss, who was the captain, to take a slight detour while waiting for the storms to pass. The airship went over Manhattan Island and over New Jersey. A couple hours to a few hours later, at almost 6.30, the weather finally was clear enough to land. About 7 p.m. at an altitude of 650, Hindenburg began to start its landing at Lakehurst Naval Air Station. This landing that was attempted was referred to as a flying moor or a high landing. Uh, I don't know why I'm going with this somewhat weird British accent when it's all German, but it's just what's happening. This meant that the airship, and this is in quotes, so the airship would drop its landing ropes and mooring cable at a high altitude and then be winched down to the mooring mask. This landing takes more time and less crew members, and it has only been done a few times by Hindenburg, though it was more common for American airships. So it was something that American airships did, but others didn't. Okay. So... All the stuff that goes down is between 709 and 725, pretty much. Oh, wow. So 709, airship made sharp full left turn to wast around landing field. 
I don't know what WASP was, but it was my typing. This caused by the, uh, this was caused by the ground crew not being prepared yet. So they made a really full speed left turn when they weren't supposed to. So then two minutes later, the airship turned back towards the landing field and valved gas and all engines idled ahead and the airship began to slow. So then at 7.14, a few minutes later, Captain Press ordered um, the aft engines full astern and at an altitude now of 394, so almost half the altitude that was at, to try to break the ship. So 7.17, the wind shifted uh, from east to south. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm reading and I was able to change uh, what I read, but (laughs) wind sniffed from east to southwest. (laughs) (laughs) really smells good good. smells good um so the captain ordered another sharp turn state board starboard making an s-shaped flight path towards the mooring mask so 7 to 18 as the turn was happening the captain was ordered 300 kilograms 300 kilograms and 500 kilograms of water uh ballast and semi so i think it's like these things that hold water or none of this quite makes sense and i try to look it up so of water ballast in semi um simultaneously drops so they all come down at the same time since the airship was stern heavy so i guess to try to balance it back out as this was ready or as this was happening the gas valves were also valved which opened to release some gas Okay. However, so I guess I, it says something about, about ballast being used to provide st- uh, stability and maneuverability in a in a voyage. Yeah. So okay. So I think it's like these, these water. I'm guessing containers. like tanks. Yeah, of yeah. some sort that are put around it, and then it's kind of probably like going forward because it's stern heavy, so it's right. like going towards the ground. So they release them throughout to balance it, and like make a plane it level would do. Again. Yeah. 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 Okay. Which that part made sense in my head. I just was like, I hope that's what I think it is. <laughs> um, however, these did not do what was needed. So six of the crews were set to the bow to trim the airship. So Jeez. 7.25. Further attempts were made to land, but not successful. By witness accounts, it said that the fabric ahead of the upper fin flutter as the gas was leaking out of the airship. It was also reported that the first flame was seen from the port side of the port fin. Oh, geez. Flames came after on top. It was described as a mushroom-shaped flame cloud thing. Uh, these flames took over the airship, and this caused the rear to implode while a liquid bur- a liquid burst out from the shock of the blast. Oh, man. Yep. It's like, it was happening so fast. So oh, I, mean, I mean, it's just, it's just gas. It's yeah, gas and it's like, just, yeah, it's just going to just explode anyway. And you can see this. It's been documented on video. Um, oh, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's yeah. like, whoa, it's intense. Okay. So next thing we know, the tail of the ship comes crashing down to the ground. A huge flame came over the nose of the ship, killing some crew members there. Since there was still some gas in the bow of the ship pointing upwards, by the time all the airship hit the ground, the fabric was mere, the fabric was mere ashes. Hydrogen oh my God. burned up and the fire stayed lit with diesel fuel on the airship. Oh, geez. So this this is, was this the one where like they had a guy who was reporting and he screams, oh, the humanity. Is that the same? That's the one. Oh, I come to that. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Because yes, you're thinking correctly, but it's kind of weird about that uh, video clip. So it was thought that it was between 30 to 40 seconds from the ship to catch on fire to hit the ground. 
Wow. And as we were saying, while this was happening, the whole event was being recorded. This is why it's so well documented. Yeah. One broadcast even dubbed some speaking with the footage to make it seem that it speaking was happening at the same time the recording. Jeez. So that, oh, the humanity, that wasn't actually being recorded. Only the oh, was. Okay. So they added that after to make it seem like that's <coughs> what. Not like, I mean, obviously people were probably saying a lot of these things anyways, like, oh, the humanity, right. oh my God. Cause like you're watching a disaster. People, people are eyes. dying. Yeah, clearly. exactly. Um, but they just added on top separately later on. Wow. To the broadcast. There was 36 passengers and 61 crew and 62 survivors. So of the fatalities, uh, there were 35, so 13 oh, wow. were passengers, 22 crew people, and one ground crew person. Excuse me. And that actually surprises me um, yeah. that people were a lot. I mean, I knew that there were survivors. I just didn't know there was that many. Yeah. Because when you look at it, the incident occur, like on the videos, it's- Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe somebody survived that. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering, like, if it's because if it's the size of an airship and maybe it was just enough that when it came, when it hit, if you could have gotten out, because I think most of the fire, this is my assumption, most of the fire yeah. was still happening on top. Right. I think it took a bit to come down because so much of the fuel was on top that maybe people had a chance to escape a little bit. That makes sense. Easier. Yeah. And I think easier with finger quotes. So. <laughs> Death occurred from the crash, the fire, inhalation, jumping from excessive heights, falling oh, debris, and some days later from injuries like burns. Wow. Um, of, of the survivors, many also experienced burns. Wow. So I have a little excerpt here um, that is from one of my sources that I feel like might be Wikipedia. And I did these excerpts. Uh, I have a survivor and I have like... Um, kind of what was happening as kind of witness to kind mm-hmm. of give an idea of how it went down if you're from in the ship or watching it itself. So yeah, the majority of the crewmen who died were up inside the ship's hull where they either did not have a clear escape route or else were close to the bow of the ship, which hung buried or burning in the air for too long for most of them to escape death. Oh so God. that's when it was like pointing up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the crew in the bow died in the fire, although at least one was filming falling from the bow to his death. Oh, yikes. Yeah, that 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 sucks. And that sucks for him and then people having to watch that because you feel so helpless watching yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so most of the passengers who died were trapped in the star. Uh, starboard side of the passenger deck not only was the wind blowing the fire towards the starboard side but the ship also rolled slightly to the starboard as it settled to the ground with much of its upper hull on the part of the ship collapsing outboard of the starboard observation windows thus cutting off escapes from many of the passengers on that side to make matters worse, the sliding doors leading to the starboard passenger area to the central foyer and Great Way stairs, through which rescuers, rescuers led a number of passengers to safety, jammed shut during the crash, oh, further geez. trapping those passengers in the starboard side. Oh, God. Nonetheless, some did manage to escape from the starboard passenger's deck. By contrast, all of a few, all but of a few passengers on the port side of the ship survived the fire, with some of them escaping virtually unscathed. Scathed. Um, scathed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, virtually unscathed. So, I, when I think about this, I kind of just hope that they passed away quickly. Yeah. 
because just having that trapped and panic, like maybe they just inhaled enough smoke and passed out and then didn't know what happened because that's yeah. just heartbreaking to feel so hopeless like that. It is. Yeah, for sure. That's scary. Yeah. So the survivor, one survivor is Warner France. Uh, the 14-year-old cabin boy was initially dazed on realizing the ship was on fire. But when a water tank above him burst open, putting out the fire around him, he was spurred into action. He made his way to a nearby hatch and dropped through it just as the forward part of the ship was briefly rebounding in the air. He began to run towards the starboard side, but stopped and turned around and ran the other way because the wind was pushing the flames in that direction. He escaped yeah. without injury. And it seemed like he just like instinct hit him. Like, I don't, and I feel like I read more and like, it was pretty much like he didn't know what the hell was happening or what to do. So he just reacted, which is incredible to be able to just react like that. Wow. Um, So there's no clear reason as to why this disaster happened. There was mentions of sabotage, a shot to the Hindenburg, static spark, lightning, or even engine failure. Um, after this disaster, airships began to not be viewed as a safe form of transatlantic travel from I'll Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, by 1940, Zeppelins were pretty much no more. Wow. And I will give you a list of other airships disaster before, which I may cover some of these. And this makes sense because uh, I tell you the years of why this even more so seems unsafe. So 1921, the British R-38 crash. 1922, the Roma 1923, the French Dixmo, Dixmo, um, <laughs> previously mentioned in 1930, the British R-101, yeah. and in 1933, the U.S. Um, Akron. So these disasters each took at least 34 more lives per disaster. In fact, Jeez. a total of 251 lives ended from these previous disasters within 12 years. Um, so it's surprising to me that it took that long. Yeah. Like Zeppelin specifically, it just in general, it's just a really risky way to travel. 100%. I found, yeah. And I mean, it seems so fun to be able to travel like that. Cause like I said, cruise ship in the air sounds amazing. Hopefully one day we figure something else out like that. Cause I think yeah. that'd be really fun. That's safer. It's just so, especially if it's eco-friendly, but it's just so incredible. <laughs> um, and the way that they actually don't know what, happened to cause the disaster and i kind of read into some of the different ways that they said of like the being shot or the electric charge and they're all really interesting kind of um i don't want to say conspiracy theories per se but just well kind of is because it's like there's Yeah. yeah yeah there's just no no way of knowing at this point yeah yeah, that was the Hindenburg. Man. I didn't know all that. I just know the footage. We will post a link to the footage uh, in the description. Yeah, I'm watching some now. And it's just like, it's just a tangled mess of a skeleton. There's no fabric out there. I mean, that all just came right the frick off. Mm-hmm. Mere gone. ashes within less than like 30 seconds. Because I think that's crazy. the first thing. I mean, like, obviously, because the gas is in there, that burns right away. And then all right. that fabric burns right up right away, too since obviously it's what's right next to it. And then it continues to burn because of the diesel fuel. Right. But I think the biggest impact was that initial implosion, explosion, mushroom cloud, fire thing. It's kind of hard to call it because when you watch it, it doesn't exactly look like an implosion or explosion. It just looks like a fire. No. And it's just like, it's coming, it's coming in all nice and chill. And I know what you're talking about with the ballast because I can see the water being released in the footage. 
Okay. Yeah. You could actually see it being dumped. I just think it's so crazy that they're like, okay, we're just going to drop a cord from 300 feet and you guys are just going to pull it down. Like, what? Yeah. Um, but all of the footage that I've seen so far, it just shows, it doesn't show how the flame started. It just shows the flame. It like already going down in flames. It like, yeah. it seems to skip over like, um, so the news crews were there for something else and they didn't start recording until already caught fire. So that's gotcha. why. So they were doing, I forgot why there was a reason why the news crews were there yeah. and, um, they obviously no one knew the disaster was going to happen. So it was just one of those like, holy wow. shit, it's on fire. Turn on the camera. Record right. This. Yeah, exactly. That's unlike nuts. with the Tacoma, at least, I mean, they knew it was moving and the, extremity that it was moving is why they were recording i don't think they actually thought it was going to collapse right um so having any kind of footage like this is really important unfortunately the footage that they have gives you no idea of what actually happened what caused caused it it. but it does help give some information just like the bridge all that kind of um stuff's amazing so yeah important to have Awesome. Wow. Look at Gosh. us. We did it. This is almost possibly a shorter episode. This will be really easy to Yeah. Edit. Good. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Trying to make things easy on you this semester. Yeah. And I, I only can. messed up words a couple times. I hope you listeners are happy. Woo-hoo. That was one of the clearer, <laughs> well read, well or redder. Concise. Yeah. More precise. Well or redder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did that on purpose. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Dude. Awesome. Well, guys, Yay. thanks for joining us and listening to this podcast. We appreciate uh, you. For sure. Please share. Share with your friends. Tell your friends about us. Uh, tell us if you find one of our bookmarks. Oh, my God. I'm doing like a letter kitty voice. I'm doing a short Z voice. <laughs> that was totally a short Z voice. Tell me if you see my bookmark. Uh, oh, my God. You s- see, have you watched Letter Kenny? No. <laughs> okay. Everybody watch the letter Kenny. You'll get what I mean. Short Z man. Fuck you, short Z. Oh. So uh, if you find any of our bookmarks or stickers, take a picture and let us know. We would love to see them in the wild. Post if it up. You, yeah. Post if you get one us. of the bookmarks after you get that QR code or whatever, pass it along. Put in another book. If you want some bookmarks or um, things to post in your libraries or whatnot, let us know. We'll see what we can do. I think yeah. we have ways to get you the stuff to put in your own libraries. We would love we a have team. ways. <laughs> we have ways. Uh, <laughs> we would love a street team. So if you want to be part of our street team, please hit us up so you can find us on that social mead. Okay. Yeah, get, get in our DMs. Why don't you yeah. slide on in? Yeah. Ooh, nice. Yes. Uh I like how I'm trying to record closer to the microphone and it's going to be so loud at points. I already know. I'm trying not to yell and I record it so hard. (laughs) I'm just trying to be gentle. (laughs) So gentle when you slide into that DM. So you can slide into our DMs at Instagram. Uh, Our name is not at Instagram. It's PDS Podcast. Yes. Also Twitter, it's PDS Podcast. And as well on that Facebook, it's at P Dangerous Situation. And just like that Facebook, you can email us at P Dangerous Situation at gmail.com. Yes. We got one of our first emails. It's not an official listener episode, but we did get a story about someone talking about the fires in the Santa Rosa area. Yep. And yep. we loved reading it. Thank you. Um, it was actually when the host, Cindy from Demi World. So nice. if you haven't given Demi World a listen, please do. It's so For flipping sure. good. Her yeah. and her co-host 
I, I love the way they interact together, but they're, they're doing a whole series on cults right now. And they each tell a story from a different kind of cult. And I'm enthralled. I'm very excited to see what the next episode will be. Yes. And in if the words is, of, of the famous Karen from, uh, uh, my favorite murder. Call your dad. You're in a cult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so fitting. Yes. yes. So yeah, uh, that's it. I think I got all that social media. Please yeah. share us. We like you. Oh, rate and review. Follow us on Spotify. Tell us if there's a podcast catcher that we should know about because I'm getting ready to get on the podcast catcher switch up uh, and not use iTunes because I'm looking at something that will make me playlist. Yeah. Um, I think I want to do some playlists and there was something else I wanted to do. So if you have a suggestion, let me know. Uh, I have an Apple phone. Woo woo. And I'm burping. Bye guys. Don't forget y'all duck and And cover. cover. You remembered this time. (laughs) Ding. Ding. Bye. Bye.